team. I'm Erin. That's Ange. What's up? That's Shar. Hi. Hello. You can find us at our brand spank new website, bitchtalkpodcast.com, where you can easily sign up for our uh, email news if you're uh, into that kind of thing. You can also find us every Monday morning on BFF.FM from 6 to 6.30. Boy, oh, 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 oh. Uh, if you don't know him, his name's David Diggs. That's D-A-V-E-E-D, Diggs. Well, cheers. I'm going to start Cheers. Cheers, cheers David. Clink, nice clink. 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 Thanks for having me. What's everybody drinking? <laughs> Mezcal. Boxed red wine. Mezcal boxed wine. Lagunitas. <laughs> it was the fastest thing I could find. Yes, Lagunitas. <laughs> How about you? Scotch and coconut water. Ooh. Oh. I'm, uh, yeah, it's a. I fell in love with it the last, like the first time I went to Carnival in Trinidad, and um, I actually just found out minutes ago that Tony Hall passed away today. Incredible Trinidadian playwright oh. and scholar who I had been working with on some dialect stuff, and oh, so I'm sorry. This is for Tony. Wow. Yeah. Cheers. Cheers. That sounds <clears throat> delicious, though. I've never it's- tried it, and I'm a whiskey, scotch, all of the above. Spread it around, man. Cool. Scotch and coconut water. Yeah. And, and sort of healthy. That's it's hydrating. Hype. That's yeah. the hype. You hydrate yeah. while you dehydrate. <laughs> it's, a net, it's a net zero. Oh, boy. Well, um, I can't wait. We're going to try that after this, uh, after this podcast. Um, yeah, so, so Basic Bitch really is just getting into uh, the roots of, of our guests. And we haven't really had one in a while. So you're kind of the first one um, during quarantine, I think. So congratulations. Honored. I don't know. <laughs> honored to be the first quarantine basic bitch. <laughs> You've never felt such pressure. I know. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I wanted to get into, you know, you're born and raised in Oakland. And from what I read, your dad was a bus driver. Your mom was a social worker. Um, what was that like for you in the 80s? Well, so the 80s was before either of them became either of those things. Ah, okay. Uh, and, and so, like, yeah, when I came into the world, I mean, when I when I came into the world, they sold drugs. And uh, they stopped that pretty soon after I was born. It's not a <laughs> yeah. good profession to have kids in. Um, and so, um, and mom, who had, like, been a DJ for a, a while and... Um, pops would sort of bounce around and was had a lot of odd jobs like sort of had to figure out something more stable to do but even still I, I remember I mean when I was really young my mom worked at a gas station and then uh, I got a little older and she worked at a video store which was lit uh, yeah <laughs> now you got the hookup I had all the yeah <laughs> she had the VHS tapes and in the back you know she was just dubbing all the little ones that came in so I had all the Disney movies and all the oh, yeah. <laughs> <other things. laughs> Um, and, uh, yeah, and my dad had a bunch of different jobs. He worked for a rubber stamp company for a while, like at a rubber stamp factory, which was also licks. I had a lot of rubber stamps. Dude. I, I, had, a stamp I had a stamp collection too. Yeah. <laughs> nice. I don't know. It was like, after a while it doesn't, it's not as fun, but it's nice to look at them. I am. <laughs> And then you're like, we had right. like such a wide ink assortment that you could really come up oh. with some pretty psychedelic shit. Mm, yeah. mm, uh, that's the key. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Lots of inks. I think, um, yeah, growing up in Oakland was it was great. I mean, you know, I say all the time, like, I, I, 
we were poor, but I was never sad. Like I don't remember ever really being sad or ever really being bored in my life. Um, and so, um, yeah. And then it, it was like, my brother came along when I was four and, uh, then it was just, it was sort of the three of us living in North Oakland with my mom most of the time. And my dad had us like every weekend. Um, and uh, just, I, I just, rem- I've like, most of my memories are of going to parks or of, um, <laughs> my dad would pick me up. He had a motorcycle. He would pick me up like early to take me to school sometimes. And we would go to uh, College Avenue to this cafe that I don't think is there anymore and get uh, chocolate croissants mm. <laughs> and hot chocolate like before kindergarten, you know? Oh, uh, cute. <laughs> <and growing laughs> little, little date, daddy date. Yeah, 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 stuff like that. Like in, in, in the summers, like hanging out with him a lot and going to, he worked at a hair salon for a while. So I would like to help him cut hair, which meant really that I was just like zooming around on this like stool. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Um, yeah, and my mom was going back to school. She went back to school after my brother was born. So she went to Mills College um, to finish her bachelor's degree and then eventually moved to UC Berkeley to get her master's and her PhD. So my mom was like in school and working a lot, um, which meant a, a fair amount of like also taking care of my brother, dropping him off at school, picking him up from school, stuff like that. Um, I really love, if I can just squeeze in here, I really love how you do talk about growing up poor but happy. Um, And I, you know, I grew up uh, in a family, you know, I shared a room with my parents until I was in the third grade, you know, nine people in a four-bedroom house. But we were, we still, you know, I thought we had a great life and I I grew up happy too. But I remember the first time I went to a friend's house and they had a two-story house and their own bedroom and a closet. And I was like, what's a closet? And that, that was the moment when I realized like, oh, okay, so there's an economic difference here. Like, do you remember the first time you realized like, okay, there, there is a difference. I'm happy, but there is a different lifestyle happening around me. Yeah. I, you know, the Bay area is one of those places where like all of, like all of the classes are pretty, it's not that big. So like, there's not even a ton of neighborhood separation. There is, but it's not geographically that distance and distant. And, um, and it's politically super left. So like a lot of the things that kids do are sort of open to all kids. And there's a lot of like mixing of, I think it's kind of rare in the sense that there's a fair amount of mixing of uh, socioeconomic status in like things that kids participate in. Right. And so, so like I, I went to, to Jewish day camp, to Camp Ketov uh, every summer. And like some of my friends there have big old houses like in the hills and I would go to their houses after after school after camp and like hang out in their pools with you know with their nanny bringing us snacks and so like, <laughs> like it was just a very <laughs> very day. very different life mm-hmm. but uh um but yeah the, you know so yeah I, I guess I was aware of difference um but it didn't ever feel like oppressive to me you know, like I didn't, uh, there wasn't a ton of that. I really wanted a pool. And I have <laughs> yeah. one now, so. Uh. <laughs> I was just, someone, who was I talking to? I don't remember. Uh, one of my castmates from, from Snowpiercer who also lives in LA. And we were like, you know, comparing pool stories. 
like when like, you were a kid or like now? No, like now, because we're oh. both like, <laughs> we both like finally have pools. And I was telling, because you know, when we moved in this house, which wasn't that long ago, um, I, the, I remember like the first night we slept here, I, um, the early in the morning, I got up and I like went outside into the backyard and I was like, oh shit. And I just like got in the pool, like <laughs> in my pool. And I started, I started crying. Like, <laughs> because wow. I remember, because my mom used to have to take us. I I was a like yep. fiend for water as a kid. Right. And so my parents were always like driving me to the beach or drive. There was a pool up at UC Berkeley that my mom used to take us to all the time that I love, but it was always like, you know, 45 minutes to an hour of travel to get to like a, a pool that we could use. And I made them take me so often when I was a kid. And I was just like, oh, you know, and then I called my mom. It's like, oh, you don't have to oh. drive me to the pool anymore. <laughs> <laughs> that one, mom. Oh, that's yeah. beautiful. Are you, are you a Pisces? Aquarius. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. Um, I love, I love that story. Thank you for sharing all of that with us. Um, so you're growing up in Oakland and um, I want to know when and how did you fall in love with the arts? When did that happen? Uh, I, I, it feels like early on and I don't know if I ever, I don't really know when I thought that I would become like a practitioner of it, but I just always loved, I loved movies um, and I loved TV and I had such great experiences like with my parents you know, viewing those things, like going with my mom to a play or like going with my dad to concerts or watching movies. We love to go see just like every big old action movie that came out. And um, so there was always like a lot of joy associated with with art stuff for me. And then um, I remember fourth grade and now so moms has moved to to student housing in in Albany, California, a little this big you might miss it um and a lot of uh they have a place called the university village so a lot of grad students with families live in this in this student housing on the bottom of san pablo and it's like it's like uh, a gated community without a gate you know but like they were actually converted army barracks um so all these just sort of little apartments for grad students with families and we're living in there and the hype about that is you got to go to Albany public schools if you live there which are like nice. among the best public yeah. schools in the country and so um and so I'm at Marina Elementary School and my teacher is my fourth grade teacher is Miss Angaman and she used to have us memorize poems every, she had the whole class like memorize one or two poems every week uh and I don't really remember what came over me but I do remember like everyone was sharing the same poem and I was super bored and uh, I decided I was going to act mine out. I had like a funny idea <laughs> and, uh, I, and I, I don't remember what the poem was. I just remember that I had this idea and I got up and I did it and everybody laughed when I wanted them to laugh. And um, I'm like, such, I was such a shy kid. Like I'm a shy kid now. I was a really shy kid then. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it was just like this incredible... <laughs> I'm like, I really like people. Like I genuinely like being around people, but I don't know what to do with my hands. And I don't know, you know, so like, um, but then this, this performance like gave me, everybody was like on my team and I felt like I had a reason to be there and everyone was happy that I was in the class. You know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
and and it was powerful in a way that I had never really felt before because there was this kind of you know manipulation aspect of it like I could, I hadn't I wanted to get people to do a thing and I had an idea of how to do that and it worked you know um, and I'd never felt that kind of like cause and effect that I I never felt like I could affect anything like that before. And so that moment always sticks out to me. And I, after that, I remember just doing all, like if I could get into school play, I was going to do it. Or like started playing the saxophone. I would like, I just like, I liked performing, playing concerts. It terrified me, but like also I was pretty good at it. So, um, and it gave me a reason to be around lots of people and not be as nervous as I usually was. Mm -hmm. Okay, wait, sorry, Ange, I have to ask a quick question because it's something I wanted to bring up during our blind spotting interview and we didn't have time. Your character had a saxophone in the room, didn't, didn't your character? He had a trumpet. Oh, (laughs) okay. And that it was leaning up against a chair. That's funny that you bring that up. That's actually, I don't think we've ever talked about this in an interview, but it's, it's left over. There's a whole other thread in that movie of Colin's yes. trumpet that we cut. Oh. I was wondering. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, we had, to, we had to cut for time the scene where he finds it. Um, and then uh, subsequently all of the other scenes where it exists. And that was the most expensive one to key it out of. But that trumpet is also on that sailboat in the original footage. We had to fucking special effects oh. that out oh, really? <laughs> okay. yeah oh. is that gonna come um, out on the dvd cutting room floor of you you with a trumpet i don't know i don't uh, there's a we did one shot of me playing it that must be terrible because i don't think i ever <laughs> even saw i never even saw a cut of it you know like i like by the time the first director's cut came by it was gone so oh. <laughs> <laughs> they're like don't worry about that david you're good yeah so yeah yeah <laughs> carlos Fine, was moving like on, you know what, we're on, not don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> well I, I was i was gonna say i i read this article um this interview that you did and um it, it seems like your parents were really supportive of you being an artist as well. Um, it, it, you were talking about, you, I think you were in kindergarten and you had to do some performance <laughs> and you didn't want to do it. And you were like, okay, I'll perform, but only what I want to do. And yeah. do you want to finish it? I mean, it's a good story. <laughs> it was, it was like a gymnastics performance. Uh, I decided that me and my dad used to, do, <laughs> we used to like do gymnastics, which is what we called it, but it was mostly like, I would stand on his shoulders or he would like throw me up in the air and flip me around. We got like really good at this thing. Like to the point where we just walk around Oakland and I'd just be standing on his shoulders. And, <laughs> you know, and he lived on a big hill on Orange Street by the lake and we, we could walk all the way down that hill and I would just stand on his shoulders the whole time and he wouldn't have to hold me. You know, like we were good. So <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you can resurrect that in something. Who knows? Yeah. yeah. So... <laughs> We wanted to, so yeah, so I, I said I wanted to do this, and which meant that my dad had to do this with me. And my dad's, my dad is a great storyteller, and like, he holds court at parties, but he is not a performer. That, that's not, you know, he doesn't, being up in front of people is like terrifying for him. Um, but he did it. He did it anyway. I think I told part of that story at the Tony's in my acceptance speech, because in my memory, that was like, I wanted to wear these matching like rainbow tights. <laughs> and, uh, and in my memory, he totally did that. I later, like years later, found a picture from that thing. And I'm wearing a rainbow shirt, but neither of us are wearing rainbow tights. So <laughs> that's, how, that's how memories go. So I, I, I had like, it was a, the most memorable part of my Tony Award speech is a total lie. 
<laughs> you get a cutting exclusive on Bitch Talk. <laughs> yeah, yeah, breaking yeah. news. We're calling there. TMZ right after this. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so, so was it always the goal to make a living from the arts, from your love? I think, I mean, I thought I might be a teacher for a while and I used to teach a lot too. I, I, what was very important to both my parents was that I do whatever I wanted to do for a living, that I not have, that I figure out a way to not have a survival job and to have my job be my passion because both of them had a lot of experience with survival jobs. And, um, and so, and the, and the amount of time that that takes up. And so like, they were always encouraging of me figuring out anything that I was excited to do. Not that like that would necessarily be, you know, to be in plays or be in a movie or whatever. I think because I always had this encouragement, both from like my family and from external sources to like, just keep going for the things that I happen to really enjoy. I just didn't stop. And I never really thought about needing a job until it was like really too late. Uh, and like, I didn't, you know, like I didn't have the skill set to do anything else anymore. I've become, I'd really, really done a lot of training as an artist. Uh, but I don't know how to work a cash register or like, you know, like fold a shirt. You know what I'm saying? Like they're, they're like basic, like life skills that I don't have (laughs) really. Um, uh, and so like, I I remember one time, uh, this is like, this is, maybe a few months before we started, I went to do Hamilton Off-Broadway. So I'm still, this is a, I'm living in LA and uh, I'm only making money when I'm like on tour. I was, I could never seem to have a like job in LA, except I was, I had this one like minimum wage gig delivering, catering for, uh, at like pharmaceutical companies for like pharmaceutical. Basically it was like, I would, pharmaceutical companies would order catering from this restaurant. I would pick it up and drop it off at doctor's offices as ways to bribe them to get to use this company's yes. drugs. Yes, yes. So like uh, an Uber Eats, but not. Yeah, but like <laughs> if your Uber Eats was sponsored by Lexapro. Right, yeah. Know, Lobbyists, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, you know, doing the Lord's work. <laughs> and uh, I'm... <laughs> and, and, um, uh. That job was... A job was like minimum wage plus tips, but nobody ever tipped because no one was ever there to pick up the shit I was dropping off. Like I was just leaving it essentially on the doorstep of a hospital. Yeah. So, um, uh, so I had that gig, but nothing else. And I could, I, but when I was on tour, I was touring the show called Word Becomes Flesh. Um, that was a great show. And so I'd make money doing that. Or when Clipping was on tour, we would make, that's how I would sort of make rent. There wasn't any touring lined up, so I'm I'm like, all right, I gotta get, I have to, we have to figure this out. I gotta get a job, and uh, I started. Um, I, I was going around interviewing for like waiting, like waiter positions at various restaurants, and my mom called me during the midst of I'm like running around town. It's like, what are you doing? Oh, I'm I'm going on job interviews. Oh yeah, for what? To be a waiter, and she laughed at me. <laughs> on my phone like laughed at me and said oh you can't do that (laughs) I was like I don't know what you mean I can't do that like I'm pretty smart she was like you're gonna be terrible at that (laughs) I beg to differ if you came up to my table and like wrapped the menu to me I'd be like I'll have one of everything so just saying (laughs) it's you say that now because you know me but like think about (laughs) any waiter you don't know (laughs) 
coming up and rapping to you the specials <laughs> and then totally getting your order wrong. And then like, <laughs> are you actually happy with that? Like, I, I don't know. Uh, I mean, Ange works, works in the hospitality. It depends on the restaurant. Yeah. Some restaurants, you can't order a bad thing. Right. That's true. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was, I was going to say you surround yourself with um, really thoughtful and like politically minded um, folks. Is, is that what keeps you sane in the entertainment world? I think so. I mean, I, I, you know, the other thing about, um, like me and Rafa talk about this all the time, like I, I, the nature of my career has been such that like, I've been making a ton of art for a really long time, but like, most people learned who I was five years ago, you know what I'm saying? And I'm, right. I'm, what, I'm 38 now. So like, that means that I have a community of artists who are my very close friends. And we, and I know how to make work with them. And if I was 20 or 21, like that might've changed post glow up, right? Yeah. Like, uh, mm-hmm. but I'm not, I'm pretty stuck in my way. So I really only know how to work this way. And I only, and I'm like much more concerned at this point with, with surrounding myself with people who I enjoy working with um, and who are like minded. So that's, so that's what I do. And fortunately, like I'm so far being allowed to do that. Yeah, I, I love that. And and because you had all those years as an artist, struggling artist or, or not, uh, oh, yeah. you know, you're used to doing everything, you know, growing up, you know, com- trying to come up as an artist, you, you're wearing all the hats. And now you're in a position where, you know, you're getting off of roles, your schedule's fully booked until the foreseeable future. Do you miss uh, being in that place where you kind of had your hand in all the pots and you were just kind of working everything and, and, and it's more collaborative? Nah. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. Um, no, I mean, I still do plenty of projects. Like, here's the thing: is like, there's the stuff that that everybody sees eventually, and that's you know, the higher profile stuff is like one of these things where there's a lot of cooks in that kitchen, and like, I'm you know, um, but I still have my band clipping where it's just the three of us, and we do everything, uh, almost every piece of that, and like, me and Rafa still talk on the phone every single day, and like you know, half of it and, and anything we're doing together, like, because we're so, uh, we're so fanatic about the tone and the, and the messaging and everything. Like we don't let very many other cooks in that kitchen either. So like it's, um, so I, I still am like really hands-on in a lot of like the creative phases of a lot of things, but then I also get to do things like Snowpiercer where I just get to show up and act and like, you know, give a bunch of suggestions that nobody listens to (laughs) and probably shouldn't because like it's well above my pay grade, but, uh, you know, um, yeah. So now I I think like, fortunately I've, I've been able to sort of keep, um, I still get to do plenty of work in the way I, I know how and like to work. And I'm also getting to have a bunch of new experiences and learn a lot. Like I've, the last few years I have, has felt like being back in school in a lot of ways. Um, or just like the amount of information I'm taking in it, it, every day is, is huge. And that's good that, you know, it helps you. And then I can bring that back to the stuff that I have more control over and figure out what parts of it, like I want to use or not want to use you know maybe I shouldn't be the one deciding what the color timing in this shot is because like I'm actually not good at that shit (laughs) people people are 
Um, <laughs> well, people really are. They're out there. <laughs> My taste is going to get you this monkey wallpaper, you know? Like, I, I <laughs> maybe love, that's not, I maybe love, that's yeah. not the, Oh, yeah. I didn't actually choose it. My girlfriend chose this. <laughs> Taking credit for somebody else's work. Yeah, I love it too. Um, actually, that that question that Anne just asked kind of um, kind of mirrors mine. But I was going to ask, what else in in the industry would you like to do that you haven't done yet? Which sounds like there's a lot, but are there like a top there's five a right now? I mean, I have yet to um, like be a be like a lead in a film that wasn't my own, you know? Um, right. And so I, I'd like that experience of, of actually being an interpreter of like a large body of, of film work. I'm getting that experience in TV with Snowpiercer and um, it is wild and I'm, I'm learning a lot and I would like to sort of wrap my head around the actor's job of storytelling in that sense on a, on a film. Um, Cause the things I've done in that world are like, there's blind spotting in which we controlled everything. So it was like a very, you know, it was like a different gig. <laughs> um, and then I've done uh, like supporting roles in films, which are, which are great because you're sort of in and out and you're not responsible for a lot, but you get to like really sink your teeth into some nice scenes. And that's, that's cool. But I, I feel like there's something else I need to learn there. Um, there's like a ton of, music I want to make I haven't put out like a, a non-clipping solo music project like non-clipping or non-me and Rafa project since 2011 mm. um, mm. and like I have a ton of songs like sort of in various states of disarray that I keep every time I have some time like you know a global pandemic or something I sit down and yeah. I try to uh, start tweaking <laughs> them a little bit yeah. so um, so yeah I would like to get some of that stuff ready to come out into the world and um and like there's plays I want to do there's I I who knows when that's going to be able to happen again but like I you know last year I got around this time I was doing white noise uh at the public which is the first time I got to do just a straight play in many many years and I that's what I come from and I really do miss that and I before this uh this moment we're in my like like I was, I had sort of ordered my team to make sure I get to do one play a year, you know, cause I just, it was hard to get back into and I don't like not having those chops, but also it, it's, there's nothing else like that. So hopefully when we're, when we're on the other side of this, I can do more theater stuff and um, yeah, but those are sort of like my industry goals are basically just keep expanding the the net of of good people who I've met and and keep making things with them um and keep trying to push myself to do new new kinds of things um but yeah I don't know it, it, it's cool it's I'm in a weird place right now because like work there's enough work um so like I can I can do these kind of like dreamy oh I'd like to you know <laughs> oh it'd be really cool if um, it's kind of like rarefied artist air, you know, who knows, like we could come out of this and all of a sudden I need a job. So I'll just be in your Sprite commercial or whatever. Oh, I thought you were going to refer <laughs> back to a restaurant gig. Maybe. I mean, <laughs> I mean, now if it comes to, if it comes to that, I'll, your table will I'm, accept anything you bring to them. That's what I'm saying. Like I got at that. At this point. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 Well, 
I want to I, quickly. I want to be mindful of your time. So, are you cool with a couple more questions? And hey, I'm I'm chilling. This is this was the only thing on my docket for today. Oh, okay. Uh, yes, except uh, for swimming swimming time. Awesome. Swimming yeah. time. I mean, I had some I had some business in the morning and then a long break. I'm just I'm just writing. I'm just making rap songs after this. For, for well, that. Oh, okay. Well, we'll stay for that. <laughs> and just pretty good. And just pretty good. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, some people yeah. have heard of me. Maybe. <laughs> um, no, but uh, so right. you, you get to perform for the Obamas at the White House. Can you just tell us <laughs> everything? Can, Sorry, I'm starving for like, oh, remember that time? I know. I, that's there? the problem. It's just kind of too sad, right? Yeah, like, I just... Right. Just, How many of us, if you got an Im- invitation to the White House today, what would you no, do? Like, I would no, be like, I would shit on it. Did I, what's wrong, wrong with me? <laughs> well, yeah. I, I don't know yeah. if you guys have gotten your IRS uh, letter from Donald Trump. Uh, my fiance and I did over the weekend. And uh, we're like, what do we do? Do we burn it? Do we shit on it? I mean, how, <laughs> how do you get rid of this? Gotta anyway. Something, something symbolic. Right. So yeah. I just care, but, yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. No. There I mean, was another diff- time before that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was a different time, man. Uh, no, I mean, I, I don't know. It was just like <laughs> we were invited. All of these just like brown kids were just invited to the White House to sing songs for the president. And, and not only that, but like while we were there, all of these other local brown kids from DC came and we all taught workshops to them all day. So it's like a day full of like breaking into groups and us working with kids and like doing like musical theater type workshops with them, um, running around the White House recording like stupid content like for the Hamilton fucking Instagram feeds <laughs> and then performing for the president, which, and, and Michelle, which included like the visually one of the most incredible things I've ever seen before, which is in that it's in the video of the event, which is just Chris Jackson steps out from like the line and sings one last time under a portrait of George Washington and standing directly in front of Barack Obama. And like that, so like a black man playing George Washington standing in front of our first black president singing the song that is about uh, George Washington creating the fact that we have limited term presidencies and, you know, essentially handing control of the country over to the next person because that's how democracy should work. And like, um, you know, and so like, it was just, we were in, in tears and like, the, you know, at that time, the the president and first lady had been and seen the show two or three times at that point. So when we showed up, every time you meet the president, you're in a receiving line. Uh, but he knew all of our names. <laughs> and so to Michelle, did. like they dapped everybody up and hugged everybody. And so, oh, oh, David, what's the, like you said that before I said your name. I didn't introduce <laughs> myself. <laughs> you're Barack Obama, bro. <laughs> like you don't have to know my name. That's really okay. Like I get it. You have other things to deal with. Uh, yeah, it was a, that, that was in 2016, right? 2016. Uh, what, what did what did you get to eat? Oh, sorry. I'm always, I'm always food driven. I'm just like, what do they feed you? I honestly don't remember. It was like such a long day that I I totally don't remember. I'm sure it was delicious, but I have I have no recollection of it. We also 
we also the bus trip down for so we get off stage performing a two show day and hop on a bus that drives straight to DC and like when I, that was a party bus like one I have rarely been on <laughs> we were lit like loading coolers onto the bus full of yes. booze like it was yes. like had oh. the music cranked the whole time it was a four-hour dance party on the way down to DC was that- and then oh. it continued in the hotel room and then we went straight to the to the president's house was the president's house? Was that on the uh, Instagram uh, handle of Hamilton or no? No, I, I, that was I, I not made for. Uh, yeah. God, I hope not. Yeah. <laughs> you're still here, so it wasn't. Yeah. No. Yeah. Um, you know, when you're able to come back to the Bay and visit and actually have some time here, what are the places you hit up? Like, what can you not miss? Oh man, uh, I mean, Gordo's. Oh. Oh. Yeah, what do you yeah. get? The quesadilla chicken. No, no, always, always an asada burrito, super okay. asada, super asada black beans. Um, nice. Hey, yeah, so Gordo's, uh, Miss Ali's. Oh yes, yeah. Yeah, yeah, downtown Oakland, Caribbean food spot. That's very important to me. Um, yeah, if that you know, if there was a a way, well, or uh, you know, the Warriors ain't there anymore. But if there, no. if I was there, overlapping a Warriors game, that I could swindle my way into i would do that (laughs) (laughs) um yeah what else and then mostly mostly just family these days i don't come over to the city if i can help it you know (laughs) like unless i'm working over there i don't really i don't really come over there um but yeah and then you know if i i think if my trip happens to overlap in oakland first friday situation yeah you're likely to see all of the people you need to see if you if you make it to yeah. one of those, right? So yeah. try to stay there. And you got to stay late. I don't actually want to give all this information away to non-natives. So no. <laughs> well, yeah, you don't have to be limited. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Actually, no, go to First Fridays and just when they shut down at 10 p.m., you leave. <laughs> <laughs> are, there, are there some things you miss about being up here? So many things. Uh, no, I mean, I, I miss it terribly. I, you know, <laughs> there was like video servicing of all all these kids, uh, you know, breaking the, the shelter at home order to have sideshows. Yes. Yeah. Yep. And like, I was so conflicted by that because, <laughs> I know. I, uh, you know, the, the grown up in me wanted to shake them all and be like, you all have coronavirus. Get inside. <laughs> you know, like, you're killing your parents. And then, uh, <laughs> but like the town kid in me was just so happy to see a sideshow again. Like, I, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so like, I don't know the the Oakland in my brain. Me and Rafa talk about this a lot too. Is like a bit of a fairy tale. It's a bit, you know, it's um, it kind of in a lot of ways doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. And then particularly now, of course, nothing exists anymore. But um, but I think the you know, so many of the people who made Oakland what it was when I was growing up can't live there anymore. So like you see it in flashes when everybody's coming in for events, like a, like a basketball game or like a, like a concert or like a first Friday type situation or something. It's supposed to really move to the outskirts. Um, but there, you know, it's mostly just like other than the, the food and everything I love, there's just an energy there that um, doesn't, it doesn't exist anywhere else. There's kind of like a, um, 
like an across the board sort of respect for intellect and like a one-upsmanship of it so <laughs> that everybody is participating all the time and it and it reflects itself in the in it reflects itself linguistically right it's like a, a lot of game talk and uh when you're just out on the street listening to people talk like it feels competitive um, and i miss that I miss that particularly in LA because there is no competitive discussion around here. <laughs> it's a race to the bottom. So uh, <laughs> only I also, to be fair, LA is a very big place and I live in a very small part of it. So, um, but you know, particularly in the like communities that I operate in, it's all about like making things super clear so that there are no misunderstandings on this deal we're trying to make. Right. right. Or like, yeah. Yeah. The way I grew up was in sort of thriving on the misunderstandings, trying to like yeah. increase the amount of ways you could misunderstand me. Right? <laughs> so, like, um, uh, so I do, I miss that. Um, I miss the kind of uh, sort of cultural mashups that, that happen there that are sort of different from anywhere else because it is like a, a big, small area. There's a lot of people in not a ton of space, but it's not New York style. It's not on, on top of each other. There's enough space for everybody to have their own personality, but not enough space for you to avoid, avoid everybody else's personality. So uh, it, it just forces people to be together in a different kind of way and like learn how to cooperate. And you see that anytime you're out and you listen to like the diversity of music every time you go out or just like listening to cars drive by on the street and like, you know, there's just, there's something energetic that happens there that's different. And it's also, you know, politically it's its own thing. And, uh, and educationally it's its own thing. There's so many, it's like such a high concentration of like universities and stuff. Not that anybody from around there goes to them, but you come in contact with a lot of that stuff. You come, like I was a kid going to see lectures at UC Berkeley or like, going to see plays at Berkeley Rep or reading a ton of books, you know, like the oldest independent black bookstore in the country, Marcus Books. Right, Shout out. Yeah. They're having a fundraiser soon and they've been having one online. Let's make sure Marcus Books stays alive. Um, but that that's um, places like that are just, they're everywhere around there. And the history of the Black Panther Party permeates through the whole yep. city, like all of the East Bay. And if you just feel it, it just feels different. And it feels like home for me. And so nowhere else feels like that. Oh well, if unless Ange has one more question, we can wrap here. Well, I, yeah, I, I just want to say super excited to see you in Snowpiercer. It's coming out in a couple mm -hmm. weeks. I believe it's May seventeenth. May seventeenth. Right. Yeah. Uh, so super excited to see you in that, and it, it's an adaptation of uh, a Bong Joon Ho's uh, yep. Snowpiercer. Yeah. Have you met him? And if you have, is he as badass as he seems? Definitely. He's super badass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he's super nice. It's the thing, which is like adds to his badassness, right? Mm -hmm. like, mm -hmm. You don't have to be nice when you're that good. Right. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> he, <laughs> no, he, yeah, he, he came to set a couple of times and was mostly just, it, it, made, it, it actually made me nervous that our show better be really good because he was like, most of his comments were about the fact that we had so many train cars. Because he had to shoot that whole movie with essentially one train car that he redressed every time they moved cars, you know? He's a superhero, yeah. But we have <laughs> literally 30 cars, like, we, you know, like, <laughs> and so he was mm -hmm. like, oh, guys have a lot of trains. <laughs> I was like, what you trying to say? Like, it, what, if you had this many trains, you would do what? <laughs> Wait, uh, and uh, is... 
I was just going to ask, is um, Soul coming out? Soul has been moved to November. Oh, it has. Okay. Yeah, November 20th. I think they want people to be able to go to the movies uh, to see that. So Yeah, I'm super that. happy. I can't, mm-hmm. I can't wait to see that. I think the the um, versions of it I've seen are really beautiful. It's been like a wild process to go into Pixar, like in the hometown right. and just yeah. like see different drafts of it and see it in the animatic stage and see it like partially done and then do voice for it. It's been really fun to sort of see, you know, because... Pixar movies are so great. So it's nice to be in on the process a little bit. And it's, it's awesome what they do. And it is so labor intensive. And yes. so they're so hard on themselves. I, I, I sat in on a, on a notes session. One of the times after I saw the film, it was just like all the executives sort of giving notes to the writer and director of the film. And like, I don't think I could write or direct for Pixar. That shit was <laughs> like, it was, <laughs> I was just like, how do you come back from that? And I had watched the same movie and was like, this is great. Perfect. <laughs> done. And they went in on them so bad. So like, you know, the, there's a reason that those movies are so consistently good it's because yeah. they do not like hold back and there is no ego involved and they like go in. They are really, really vicious about trying to make something great. And it's, it's pretty inspirational to watch um, art made that way, particularly in a company that doesn't really have to. You know what I'm saying? Like anytime Pixar puts a thing out, you're, we're going to go see it. Yeah. So mm-hmm. that, that kind of rigor is not necessary past a certain point of, of attention, but they, they really stick to it. And it is, oh. it is fascinating to be around, and I don't think I can work there. Because <laughs> I'm too sensitive for that shit. <laughs> Stubby would be crying. Yeah, yeah. I just need a minute. <laughs> Step out, can we come back tomorrow? I need to go swim, swim my pool. I need to go. Let me go. I have a pool in LA, guys. I gotta go in my pool. <laughs> Reconnect to my childhood first. Oh, well, I just I want to thank you so much for your time, and thank I, you guys. I love having you on the show. It's been so fun. So fun, anytime. Literally, I'm totally happy to do this. You guys are All great. Right. What time we drinking tomorrow? What's that? Yeah. Not early enough. I'll tell you that. Uh, who's oh. watching? I start pretty early these days. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody needs to know. Hey. It's fine. Yeah. Appreciate you guys. Yeah. Thanks, David. Yeah. Thank right, you. Thank you. Take care. And thank you. You guys too. Stay safe. Holler at me if there's yeah. ever anything else you want to do or whatever. I'm, I'm, I'm here. I'm in the house. So. <laughs> yeah. In the meantime, you can find us at bitchtalkpodcast.com. Uh, we have a brand spanking new website. We'd love for you to join us over there, and we would love for you to sign up for our email news- newsletter. Those are going to go out about once a month. So um, sign up for that. We won't spam you. We promise. You can also find us every Monday morning at bff.fm from 6 to 6.30. We also have a YouTube channel. Uh, if you want to see some behind-the-scenes videos, that's one uh, positive from these quarantine episodes. So we're recording little two-minute clips. So please subscribe to our YouTube channel, which is also brand spanking new. We're powered by GoTo Productions. Bitch, please! <laughs>